the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, where we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. We have some wonderful guests today. We've got Jason Knutson, VP of Marketing for U.S., and we've got Greg Missick, VP for Projects and Solutions from Anderson Hauser Incorporated. They are here to walk us through many different facets around the industry, project management, and the great solutions they're offering to help ease some of those pains. So, Jason and Greg, thank you for your time today. So look forward to talking to you. Thank you, Andy. We're excited and we're glad you had us on today. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Where are we talking today? Uh, everybody knows where I'm at. I'm in the same place I'm always at, but where are you guys today? Yeah, we're actually up in the middle of the country here. So we're in Greenwood, Indiana, which is a suburb of Indianapolis. So it's a little bit warm here, but uh, maybe not near as warm as down south. I don't think I have anybody from Indiana on the show so far. It's it's pretty far from the water for a maritime, and it's also not one of the oil capitals of the world. Uh, how'd you guys find yourself in Indiana with Anderson? Sure. Yeah, that's actually an interesting story. So we actually started off in Beverly, Massachusetts in 1970 and moved to Greenwood, Indiana in 1974. And it just so happens that Mr. Endress was over in the U.S. looking for another location for the Anderson Hauser Company here in the U.S. And on his way back to Germany, he happened to be sitting next to the lieutenant governor of Indiana, and they got to talking, and he said, yeah, I was just in the U.S. looking for a new location for, for our company. And, and Lieutenant Governor said, well, I've got a great place to show you, and invited him back to Indiana and showed him some land in Greenwood, and that's where we've been since 1974. And it goes to that awesome. crossroads, crossroads of America discussion. So pulled, pulled the company into Indiana. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's great. You, you just never know who you're going to run into traveling. I've had that's many, many cool discussions just sitting at the airport. So, well, I look forward to learning about that, just like I'm sure our guests are. Before I get too far into that, I do want to thank our show sponsor and get through some of the intro portion of the show. We've got our sponsor, Tidewater. This is going to be episode 32. They have been our sponsor from the very beginning, and we are very thankful for that. Tidewater owns and operates the largest fleet of offshore support vessels in the industry. With over 60 years of experience supporting offshore energy exploration and production activities worldwide. If you're interested in support for your maritime operations, you can learn more about Tidewater through their website at www.tdw.com. As I do on every show, and as I hope you can help me with this, to each listener out there, if you can leave a comment, feedback, if you could share the show, any of that kind of stuff really helps us make improvements to the show, helps us reach a broader audience, helps just support everything we're doing here so you can continue to get this educational entertainment. So thank you again. Thank you for listening. All right. With all that out of the way, Jason, how about we just start with you and learn a little bit about your background and kind of set the stage for you know, how you got where we are and what we're going to talk about today. 
Yeah. Again, my name is Jason Knutson. So I've been with Anderson Hauser for this is my 15th year. So I'm starting to turn the corner on the maturity side and knowing more and more about our organization. But of the 15 years, I actually spent 13 of those years on the project execution side of our company. So was supporting and managing large instrumentation projects, learning more about the requests of our customers around solutions opportunities. So that would have everything to do with SKIDs, control systems, valves, all integrated together with our instrumentation. And then toward the latter part of those 13 years, I was spending a lot of time in some of the development that we've done, all the learnings we've taken so far from project execution into some of the main instrument vendor approach that we're doing and a part of what we'll want to talk about today. And last two years of my 15 years, I've been over in marketing. So that has a lot more to do with bringing product to market, understanding where we are from an industry perspective and supporting our customers on that side. Thank you. Awesome. I was thinking, how does project execution differ from project management that is kind of the general topic for today? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's really kind of one in the same. We call it project execution, which is the other half of a project of the acquisition phase. So we kind of break up projects into two phases where we have the acquisition phase, which is your your engineering, your quotations, all the way up to purchase order. And then once the purchase order comes, we shift that to the execution phase, which is then getting things into production, getting documentation in line, getting all of the expediting done, any reporting that needs to be done, all the way of shipment to the instruments, to the customer, and then startup and commissioning in the field with a complete handover to the customer. Ah, okay. Perfect. Perfect. And Greg, that was that was your voice we heard there, I believe, right? So yeah, how about we get a little bit of your background? Sure. Greg Missick. I'm the Vice President of Projects and Solutions here at Anderson Hauser. I've been here 22 years. Like Jason, I have spent almost all of my time on the project management side. I broke away for about two years and was our Vice President of Operations for a while, which was a really cool experience. Got to learn a lot more about the IT side and the logistics side of the organization, which really helps moving back into the project management side, because as we all know, you know, logistics can be a big part of that. So spent most of my career doing that and then honestly heavily in the oil and gas projects. So most of the projects that I managed were those types down in the Gulf that were heavy on that side and also in the chemical industry. Wonderful. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And we've touched on it several times already. So we are going to be talking about project management and and some of the solutions that you guys are offering the industry, which I'm sure everybody's going to want to learn more about. But how about we start with just those core pieces of the industry today, the the project management, and and maybe just look at how the industry handles that today. Is that typically done in-house? Is it done with a contract service? I know it's a it's a huge piece of the industry. You can get licensed and degrees and you know many different credentials on project management. So it is vital to our success. But how does that work today? That's a really good question. You know, you have to think of it from the customer's perspective. So what size and scale project they're trying to bring to market, and then the second piece of that is how often are they actually bringing new technologies or new products to market? What I mean by that is just like any company, the experience that's within the company is what you make a decision on how much you project manage. 
So in a, in a general ratio, I would say we see 60% of the projects that come through that we are managing and working with engineering firms that are then supporting the end client. That would be, you know, certainly in a highly regulated industry on the oil and gas side, licensing is definitely a piece of that where the, the knowledge and understanding of what they're being supplied by the engineering firms is already part of that equation. So they manage multiple pieces of their project from engineering to procurement to construction. But I would still say there's still 40% out there that we experience that customers that are regularly bringing product to market. They sustain and maintain their people and their knowledge around project management. And that you say project management, okay, it's two words, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of depth behind that and the need of experience behind that. And they maintain that and they may only take small pieces of need out of the industry. It's the engineering firms or the suppliers themselves. So, yeah, and everything that, that Jason said, and, and, you know, also resources have a lot to do with it too. You know, we're seeing more and more customers that are, are really working lean on the resource side where they need somebody else to take on those project management roles. And, you know, we at Anderson Hauser, we, we like to look at it more than just taking on the project management role and really working as a partner with the customer. You know, when, when we take on a project management job, we, we want to see at the table, basically. And we want to be a part of their team. And, you know, that, that could even mean to where we step in and really work with the customer to, to drive their schedules and keep them on time. Because, you know, the, the two most important things about project management, on time and under budget, you know, so we, we do our best to keep that in mind when we're working for the customer, you know, we're, we're managing their project for them to make sure that they get everything done on time and under budget with the highest quality possible. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And while you might be as the managing you know, the contractor managing the project, it's, you know, clearly not your project. You're not going to maybe run or own that asset in the future, but the success of that project has a great impact on your company, just like it does the the your customer, right? If it if it fails, then not only is that bad on them, but that's also bad on you guys and your progress in the industry and you know how you get your next job, right? You know, absolutely. And you know, along with that, not only do we want it to be successful and we don't want it to fail, one of the most important things in the oil and gas industry is safety. So we also want that project to be safe. So we want to make sure that all the instruments that are being engineered and placed into those applications are the right app, the right instruments for those applications, because we have to make sure, first and foremost, that any project that gets started up in the oil and gas industry is safe. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely with that. And that kind of takes me to the next question. Of what are the... The, the types of projects and the, you know, the general work that, that you guys are focusing on most, most days. Yeah. Maybe if we take it in three baskets, I'll maybe take the first one or two and then turn it over to Greg. But if we think of it, the type of projects that are out there, we just started at the values of the projects that we see to give you an idea of what we even consider a project for us, a, a traditional range that we work in is projects that range from $50,000 upwards of $50 million. So it's quite a scale when you even talk about the the capital that's needed, just even on instrumentation only. 
tag counts, then that's always the next question. Dollars can be a wow factor, but at the end of the day, what does it mean from a, a tagging perspective? We, we work on projects for customers that range from 100 tags and honestly up to 50,000 tags is not out of the norm. And let's break that down real quick. What do you mean by tag count? Just just for anybody that might not know sure. listening. And I would say that's a that's a, a count of instrumentation and traditionally valves as well. You're starting to bring those two pieces together. If you think of it, you know, even a little bit further, I would think of it from a control system perspective. How many I.O. points are coming back to that control system? And then you can relate those usually to instrumentation and valves or smart points of measurement and control. Sure. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, that's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure, you know, for anybody listening, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no problems at all. Yeah. And then Jason, you know, he talked about the the complexity in tags and, you know, complexity is a big part of that because you can have a $200,000 project that is extremely complex. You know, a lot of that can come with documentation, especially in the oil and gas industry where there are some applications where the documentation is just as important as the instrument because of the safety factors, especially when you get into different types of testing and doing non-destructive testing. You know, if they have to have dye penetration tests and x-rays of the welds, they have to have the documents with that instrument so that they know that meter has been tested. So that's a very important aspect also to project management. And then it can also go into logistics. When you get into a 30,000 tag project, making sure instruments don't grow legs and walk off can be difficult. We see that that's one of the biggest things that our customers can struggle with from time to time is all that instrumentation ends up in a warehouse and then you get 20 to 30 contractors coming in and, and they just start grabbing stuff and going out in the field and pretty soon stuff's missing or they took the wrong tags. So, you know, part of the project management that we provide is, you know, making sure that the right instruments are available when they're needed in the field. And then you can even get into things logistically. We're actually working on a project right now where we have two 108-inch magnetic flow meters that we're going to deliver to a customer. That's a big flow meter. I mean, you can basically drive a car through that. So it's a giant flow meter. <laughs> yeah. And, and to move something like that takes a lot of logistical planning. Yeah. And it could, yeah it's still a project. And at the end of the day, it may only be 10, 10 devices that the project managers are managing or the logistics behind it, but it is equally as intense as a 10,000 tag project. Yeah. No, I, I live in logistics today. That's That's my world day in and day out. So I can just imagine the you got to be able to load it on the truck. You got to be able to unload it on the truck. You got to have all those, you got to have all those support pieces on either end at the right time. I mean, yeah, that can get real complex real fast. So, yeah. It's also another piece that's really interesting on the project side is that, you know, when we talk about the smaller instrumentation, that's usually part of a package, part of a, either a skid or overall a, a stick built facility. Some of the line sizes that go on and the needs in the oil and gas industry, these line sizes are big enough that facilities are built around the devices. So now you're starting to really, it's not just a component added to the construction, it's truly integrated as part of the construction. The construction site and the schedule that's running out there is dependent on the delivery of these products because they're built into the facilities. 
Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. You know, and then with, especially in the oil and gas industry, with project management on these larger types of projects, you can even get into situations where you're now looking globally when you're managing this, because you may have a offshore rig that's going in the Gulf, but you have part of it being engineered in India, and maybe you have some skid suppliers from Europe. And you you quickly get a lot of stakeholders in a lot of different parts of the world that, you know, for the customer to keep track of all of that and to be able to work with them, it's, it's much easier for them to still have that one point of contact with a project manager that can manage all of that for them. Yeah, no, and that that's why I'm kind of thinking through listening to what you guys are explaining and what you're talking through, and, and you hit it hit it already. But you know, I don't think any job is done with one single vendor or one single manufacturer, right? Like these are, you know, all these tags are coming from different parts of the world and different, you know, manufacturers, different factories, different uh, warehouses with the same manufacturer, and you know, it it can get so cumbersome so fast. So, and that. That's really where you guys are stepping in to solve a problem, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can, yeah, dive, let's dive into that. I think, I think we've covered, you know, how complex project management can be. And I think many of our listeners understand that. And, and now let's learn a bit about Anderson Hauser and, and, and kind of how you guys are solving that. Yeah, I would say when you start, you know, I guess if I was to quickly summarize where we are right now, you, you talk about all the projects that have gone on for all the years all of us have been doing it. And there's a very traditional approach to it. And you could think of it in three phases. You could think of it from a customer or an engineering firm's perspective that they're going to be walking through and selecting the control system. Then they're going to go in primarily and make sure they have the right integrator, the right programmers there to make sure the control systems are performing and the facility they're running to that spec. The next two categories below it are really, they start to look at the instrumentation and the valves. Those are the main categories that they now look to supply. A very traditional approach, an approach that we've seen for many, many years that we've already been talking to to, your, to this extent, to all the pains and agonies behind it, is that from a engineering perspective or engineering firm perspective or a client perspective, they immediately start to bid out packages. They take all those pieces of instruments, and valves, and they start to bid it out in a packaged approach. And right away, after and when they get into that phase, it gets very cumbersome because you're managing multiple suppliers, you're managing all kinds of different contracts, you're trying to select the best contract. And at the end of the day, you're hoping that the contract you selected, that suppliers will actually perform to the agreement and hold to the contract. And they do the same thing on the valve side. So at the end of the day, Either if the client's doing it by themselves and not using an engineering firm or an engineering firm's doing that work, there's a lot of contract management just to even get out of the gates to get started on their project. So it it already starts to add on to that long timeline to bring product to market. So if, if we think of it that way, some of the first things that we've done and we've tried to take all the learnings on our side, working with customers over the years to bring a different approach to market and that's where maybe we can spend a little time expanding on is around the words that are used out in the industry are main instrument vendor, but also there's main valve vendor. From our perspective, it blends together into main valve and instrumentation vendors. 
And that's a, a single source of a supplier, if you will, that can help them go through everything from contract to engineering through RFQ to procurement and on into startup. So maybe that's a place we could pause a little bit and, and expand on. Yeah, because to, to give a little bit of perspective on that, I can use the example of an offshore rig that we worked on recently where that platform had 3,300 instrumentation devices on it. And there were 45 different packages for those instruments. And of those 45 different packages, they had to go out to 30 OEMs to get all the quotes for it. So as you can see, that all really piles up really quick. And we as an MIV like to take that on and manage that in-house to take that burden off of the customer because now they have one point of contact. They can call the MIV to find out where they're at. And the MIV will, you know, for a lot of these packages, you also have to have two to three bids from different suppliers. So we do that work. We go out and get those bids. We bring them back. We do the technical and the commercial analysis of them. And then we present the final packages to the customer for the final approval. And when they approve it, then we place the purchase orders for them. So really, they're going from placing hundreds, if not thousands of purchase orders to one purchase order to the MIV. And then we work off of a blanket order to make sure all those instruments and valves are ordered for them. And you guys, you guys are seeing, because you're not doing this just for one company or one customer, right? You're doing that same thing for many companies. So your expertise on what the what's a good bid and a bad bid must have so much more depth and history behind it to say, well, no, that guy's, don't go with that bid. That guy's not, you know. He needs to sharpen his pencil a lot, you know? And so that's not something most companies would have if they're just doing projects at a much, you know, slower pace or, or, or less, just less frequently as you guys are. Yeah, there's I, a, I would agree. A, yeah, when you think about it from, from our perspective, from an Anderson Hauser perspective, and if everyone that's listening to the podcast can think of it this way, we're not presenting to everyone that if you select Genderson Hauser, that it's a sole source agreement. What we're coming to the table to offer in our learnings is exactly where you were going, which is we are here to support not only bringing instrumentation that, of course, from our view, we would definitely want to bring in instrumentation from Genderson Hauser, but we also know we don't have every piece of the puzzle, every product in the basket that you're going to need. So we also come with the offering that we will go out and purchase, help with the engineering, bid, procure, and present, and expedite, and all the way down the list, other products from even competing companies in the instrumentation world, and then also moving over to the valve side. For us, and I know people are out there probably shaking their head thinking that can't be normal. I would <laughs> tell everybody, don't shake your head. No, you can shake your head for sure. Yes, that is very normal for us. We get asked that many times. Are you sure that you can buy from your competitors? Are you sure that you can manage a supply chain that's bigger than yours? And the answer absolutely is yes. And it goes to that's all we do every day. All we do is manage our supply chain and turn out over 75,000 devices a year out of our campus. So for us, our, our, our people, our background software programs, 
and our methodologies are already in place. So it's not actually a stretch for us to be asked to go help other suppliers that bring product to market to help these customers bring their final goods, help them be sharpen their pencils for sure, but effectively be more efficient in bringing the product to market in a timely fashion with consistent drawings and documentation that can help that customer turn over and start up quicker. Yeah, it's, it's a standard procedure for us when we take on an MIV that we operate off of the customer's approved vendor list. So we're, we're going to order the devices that they already have approved. And so we have the flexibility as an organization to do that. Yeah, I was just thinking through that. I mean, you guys are, you're not just dealing with customers that are, let's just say green field, right? You're, you're not handling their first and only project. You're, you're probably helping projects with established companies and they might already have a vendor that they like and understand and trust and they very well could say no this is this is all we use out of economy of scale or or whatever justification they have and you guys have just got to you got to work around that and do do the best you can now i'm sure you're suggesting new technologies you're suggesting alternatives either for you know, cost savings or, you know, a, a myriad of benefits, but that customer could probably put a lot of limitations on the project very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, not only will we, we do that, you know, we will suggest the best technology and the newest technology, but we also like to make sure that we are providing standardization across the plant because what we don't want to have are a bunch of you know, hodgepodge potpourri pressure transmitters throughout a plant. We want to make sure that we standardize as much as we can, because then that also helps the spare parts side of it. So they don't have to stock so many spare parts. They can have one electronic module that may be able to fit into seven different applications throughout the plant. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense. I think that should be a goal of just ease and, and efficiency with with any operation. Now, it sounds like you guys are doing a lot and really offering a lot to your customers. How hard is it to start this process? How hard is it to go from, let's call it the legacy project management setup to that MIV structure that, that really sounds to be the, the, the best benefit today yeah we're, we're we it's a great question we're, we're actively and have been actively coming to market with this approach which means fundamentally we have to be with the engineering firms if they're running the projects and the end clients either case if they're running it or part of their work is working with the engineering firm as early as possible because it's, it's that quite interesting actually when you think of uh, an engineering firm and what they do from engineering procurement and construction one could ask the question that we're proposing to help them in the procurement part of their offering. Actually, I would contend that we're, we're trying to support the engineering firms and not only procurement, but also the engineering phase. So the more we can support them in the engineering phase to get through all the takeoffs of all the devices from instruments to valves and supporting them with embedded people, which again is a, is a benefit to the engineering firms as they're ramping up to support clients we become a, a place to augment them from a knowledge base to help them on the engineering side. And then that rolls right over to procurement, to be honest. 
they want to go quickly into how do we ramp up for a $50 million or a $1 billion project. So we, we support them as well there in procurement, contract management, expediting documentation, drawings. So the earlier we can have the discussions and be part of that, the more savings at the end of the day the customer will have in either time to market or ultimately the cost of the project. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot on the front end of an MIV and on the back end, you know, we even have uh, ability for warehousing and, and managing a warehouse. So, for instance, we have a 12,000 square foot facility here in Greenwood, Indiana, that is strictly dedicated to running an MIV out of. So we can receive in all the instruments and valves. We can do the receipt verification of those. So we check them to the part number, check them to the PO. Any non-conformances that we would find, they would be quarantined. And then our team would work to get those out of quarantine and then back onto the shelf so that when they need those devices out in the field, we know they're getting exactly the right one and it matches what was ordered. So in addition to the facility that we have in Greenwood, we're actually almost finished with our next investment in the Gulf. We have a 112,000 square foot facility that's a $34 million investment that will be opening in Pearland, Texas, fourth quarter of this year that we're really excited about. Not only is it an Anderson Hauser facility, but it's going to be one of the first regional facilities that we will also have our production partners in. So Spectra Sensors and Analytic Yenna will have space on this campus. And then what I think is one of the even cooler things is it'll actually share the campus with our our rep in the Gulf, and that's Vector Controls and Automation. So we're really happy to have that investment and have all those people under one roof and on one campus. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Pearland was not far from where I lived in uh, Webster, Texas. Not okay. Not too far. So I know that I know that area well. So that's great. That's great. It's a good spot to be for offshore and oil and gas, with no doubt there. When when you guys are talking to customers, where do you find the most hang up on on maybe convincing that customer that an MIV is what they need or or is the best solution like i'm hearing tons of benefits and i hear many facets that would make this kind of a no brainer to me where do customers get hung up on that though yeah it's a, that's again a really good question if i if i looked at the you know for us we always try to promote the top 10 reasons to even consider an MIV and if i was just to hand pick four or five of those for the audience. I would tell you the top ones that we talk to over and over again are what the MIV brings to the customer as it's related to reducing the time to market. And you just break it down into the phases between engineering, procurement, and the construction side, startup and commissioning. The next one that really, you know, a lot of the discussions are good there, but the next one that gets a lot of attention is around risk management. These projects are really risky from a safety perspective, from managing the documentation, the scale and size of what happens, the change orders. I know it's a, it's a dirty word out there, but I'm sure everyone's <laughs> made a star next to that one for sure, because I do. The costs around change orders, which inevitably eats into the contingency budget that everybody has when they bring a project in. So risk management to reduce the contingency is a big discussion that we have. If I was to pick two more out of our top 10, it would be schedule management. 
So if you don't have control of the project and you've given control to 20 different groups, if you will, when you talk about all the suppliers or all the contractors or OEMs, as an engineering firm or a client, when you are going to market with a new greenfield or brownfield project, doing it the traditional way, you are handing the reins to all those people. They control their schedules. Now they report back to you, but you don't have a consolidated place to see it all. And that's one of the huge offerings of an MIV. If everything runs through a main instrument vendor, you see everything. You see all schedules, you see all aspects. And I would say the last two that I would just touch on that are topics to really bring to the table are around status reporting. I can tell you, I've been one, I've been in a thousand different meetings with the customers where they are just, they're really asking a simple question, either the engineering firm or the client. They're simply asking, are you on schedule and how do we consolidate if you are or you are not on schedule into the bigger scheme of what's going on? Because again, if you do it the traditional approach, you've given the reins of control out to 20 companies and all 20 companies are trying to report their status. And ultimately, that engineering firm or that client is just trying to get one single dashboard view of what's going on in their project. And when you allow one company to become the main instrument vendor and working with instruments and valves, and then you understand that we're not coming as a sole source, we're coming flexible to work with the the companies that you traditionally work with. For sure, we want as much interest in Hauser as possible. We also understand that you have relationships with other suppliers. We are here to facilitate that and still give you that common view to what's going on with your project, which ultimately gets to the last one, which is the quality management side of it. How do you manage the quality of that complete project? How do you make sure what is engineered is what's procured, what's procured is what's received, and ultimately what's been received is what's put in the facility the right way, the right direction, and able to be started up correctly. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here and I keep thinking about Jason's dirty word and change orders. But that also reminds me, you know, one thing that is a benefit of this is also quote revision. So quote revision can be just as cumbersome and cause problems as change orders. Because if you go through a quote revision 12 times, and I've seen quotes that have 12 revisions on them, just imagine what that's doing to your project pipe or your project timeline and not being able to get that quote done right the first time, get it released, and get it on order. So that's another benefit that the MIV brings to the table. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You'd think you guys have touched on a lot of benefits there and really painted, a, at least in my mind, painted a very clear picture of, of how the MIV would function and how that supports any project and, and keeps things moving. So that that's great. Thank you. Do you have a success story that you guys really like? Is something that you a project you were really proud to be a part of that you you'd be willing to share with the audience? Yeah, sure. I mean, personally, for me, something that I'm pretty proud of because I've I've got to watch it grow and repeat. So about 10 years ago, one of the the first MIVs that we did and it was actually a smaller one and it wasn't offshore rig. And it was one of the first ones that they asked us to, hey, in addition to your stuff, can you also procure these tags for us? And we worked with engineering firms and it was actually very successful, successful to the point that we are now working on our fifth offshore rig with this same company. So it's really cool to see 
you know, over 10 years, we've built that relationship and that trust that they keep coming back to us for these applications. So that's one that I'm pretty proud of personally. Yeah, repeat customers always always says a lot, right? Any customer that's going to come back and do business with you again, then you did something right. So Maybe if I was to give a little background on a success story on my side, I was part of a, a very large main instrument vendor, an MIV project that was just under 30,000 tags. And what we found was projects of that scale had not been executed very well, just because there's a lot of complexity in that. So for me, that was a three-year process of going through a project of that scale and size. And I would say the success in it wasn't the project itself, though it was very, very successful. What I found successful in it was working very closely with other suppliers and even our competitors to push to push our industry as suppliers to our customers and clients to bring product to market more effectively and more efficiently to help them, not just sit back as a single supplier and believe that we're doing a good job. But that MIV process, it takes multiple companies and they come together and you actually have a very competitive spirit there. And that competitive spirit drives the effective and efficiencies that go and help our customers bring product to market. So for me, that was where I saw a change. The success was when we saw the industry starting to move in a new direction. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You saw the light bulbs kind of clicking on and people uh, buying in for the hard work you're doing, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Jason and Greg, I have really enjoyed talking with you. I think we've presented a lot of information about main instrument vendors and Anderson Hauser and, and the work that you guys are doing. Was there anything else that you wanted to get out to the audience that maybe we didn't touch on? Just thinking through it, I know we wanted a, a chance to make sure to relate everyone our investments into the Gulf region. So I think we've done a good job to to explain that. So feel comfortable there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Again, Jason, Greg, everybody at Anderson Hauser, thank you for your time and for sharing some of your stories and information with us. Thank you, Andy. We, we appreciate the time today. Absolutely. And to everybody listening, of course, thank you for checking out the show. Thank you. Hopefully, if you can, leave us again, leave us a comment, leave us a review. Any kind of feedback helps improve the show and reach a bigger audience. And hopefully we will catch you on the next one. Here are the OGGN events on deck. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.